0: In negotiating, sorry. (laughs) Um, But for those of you that don't know, the gentleman and his wife that lead it and host it and organize it, um, they are a dynamic, dynamic um, man and woman of God that God has placed at Harvard. They're really a true gift. Their influence is amazing, but I will say um, they're really one of us in the sense of believing God for transformation. They are men of dynamic, men and women of dynamic faith. Um, And they really, I'm just going to say, if you go expecting a conference kind of like worship like we do... You, there will be no worship. It's very business. Um, it's very leadership oriented. It's teaching and instruction and strategy and development. Um, but I've gone and I truly truly enjoy it. Um, I'm challenged, provoked, stretched on every side. Um, so it's this coming weekend. there is a leadership luncheon with Miles Monroe. He's one of the, the speakers. So I'll just say this it's 175 for the whole weekend um, which is pricey, but there are scholarships available. Um, So if there's anybody that's interested in attending or just simply wants more information, if after service, could you take emails? Mm -hmm. See Crystal, and she'll get your email, and I'll email you out all of the info and the website and all of the details. But I would encourage anybody that is able to, to attend. It's an extraordinary time. Um, So today we're going to be covering Acts 3 through 5. And I figured I would hear a few little chuckles, the fact that I was going to be covering three chapters, Um, but we are going to do it, and I'm confident that we'll actually successfully get through chapter five. Um, Why don't you guys go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts chapter three, Um, and I'm actually just going to begin, just just so your heart is consoled, I'm not going to read through all of these chapters, some of it I'm actually just going to share with you and recap, but I'm actually going to, let me see. I'm actually going to start in verse 1. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate. I want you to take note of that. Who they laid daily at the gate. So, point of reference here. Because everything else that we're going to move into, I really want to start and um, make some very qualifying statements on the front end. From this verse. (laughs) So, number one, I want you to take note that he was laid daily at the gate. Um, And so remembering that we have Peter. And and John, who are devout, who have been going to temple, going to prayer, so this is part of their daily ritual. Even when it says they went up together to the temple at at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, it was part of their ritual and their discipline. So even after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that happened in Acts 2, they still continued about the discipline of their prayer life, of their daily life. So they were continuing in this discipline, and it says, As they passed this man that was laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And fixing his eyes on him, with, with Peter and John, oh, sorry, with Pete, John and Peter, said, Look at us. And he gave, gave them their, his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold, I, I have not. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So as you guys all know the story, they extended their hand to him. I think is even an act of compassion. Extending their hand, they actually lifted him up. And it says that he went about leaping and praising the Lord. So really where I want to start at the front end is this gentleman had been sitting there day after day after day after day after day. And prior to this point, he was never healed. And actually, it was from his mother's womb, so commentators would speculate that he'd been 40 years, he'd been a crippled man. And that this was the first time that he was healed. Was this maybe the first time that Peter and John noticed him? Or was this the first time that they actually were endued with the power of the Holy Spirit To see healing? I mean, we could speculate anything, but he was always at the gate beautiful. It's a certain place that you pass through after you've exchanged your currency so you could actually give in the offering basket in the temple. So he was always there. So I'm going to say to you, most definitely, if you study culture in that time, he was well-known. He was always positioned in the same place. He had a loving family that put him there, so it was known. Even if you weren't from Jerusalem, if you pilgrimed to Jerusalem during some of the, the holy holidays, you knew to expect this man who was always sitting in his spot, the cripple man. But on this particular day, Peter and John, instead of just continuing by, they actually looked at him and they said, silver and gold, have we none? That's a profound statement right there. Because oftentimes we as the church and as Americans, we can boast in the finances that we do have. We stand on the flip side oftentimes going, silver and gold we have, we'll feed you, we'll clothe you, we'll give to you. But we don't really operate in the power of the Holy Spirit, so I'm sorry I can't help you there. Stay crippled. I mean, that's really, as the American church, not being critical, I am the American church. It's part of the angst in my heart of praying for the inbreak of the Holy Spirit in, in, in our culture and in our time. But why I am emphasizing on this is because this is what I want to say to you. I feel like this passage is scripture. This is actually what gives us hope. Yeah. Because where we are right now, we are those as the American church that are passing the crippled man day after day after day after day. And there is no anointing, power, authority An unction of the Holy Spirit to truly, how many of you have the confidence when you pass through Central Square, let me just say it's filled with mental illness, filled with disease. I mean, from working on the streets as many years as I had, the amount of AIDS that you're dealing with when you're working with prostitutes and homeless people. But how many of us have the confidence to walk directly up and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk? But this is why I'm saying this to you. Is not so that we kind of get down on ourselves. We're hopeless, we're awful, we're at head pace, and we have no power. I am saying this because prior to this point, this man stood crippled. And this actually speaks to us is that there was something that shifted, something that changed, and for some reason this day was like no other day. And what I want to say to us, is that this is the kind of vision that we have to have. Is that we might be in a particular situation or state or reality or even know something to be the American church or even the New England spiritual climate. It might be the present reality. But what I want us to do is start with this qualifying statement because we're going to look at some places. Forward on, if you fast forward into four and five, it speaks about how when Peter walked His shadow healed people. I mean, when we read the book of Acts, just so you have understanding, the whole reason we are going through the entire book of Acts is because this is the blueprint for the New Testament church. Paul said it this way. He said the word of God is like a mirror. You're actually supposed to look into it to see who you are. Number one, who you're created and intended to be. It is the blueprint and the design for you as an individual and for us as a corporate body. So it's only in looking into the Word of God that we have right understanding, that we have clarity, that we see clearly, that we understand truly how it is we are created to function and even as this, this identity of the Bride of Christ. It's through the Word of God. But it's also when we look into that mirror, we then actually, it exposes our true state. It's good. Where we can actually, that is the beginning of hope. You know, oftentimes, even like when you deal with psychology or, or people that are, oftentimes people want to shun and not look at the problem as if somehow if I don't identify it, it will just go away. But in reality, that when you can actually look and identify and diagnose the problem, that is your window of hope. That is your door of hope. That is the beginning of hope for you. So it's when, if you go to the doctor's office and they diagnose you with cancer, that's not like your moment of despair and defeat of, you just found it out. Like it was living there, it was alive there, it was functioning, it was killing you. But actually that moment of understanding is your door of hope because now you can do something about it. And that is what the word of God is to us. It's not that we look at it and then think, well, that's, we're not living as the New Testament, we're not looking like the book of Acts, so therefore, woe is me, I'm undone, and now I'm in despair. No, it's, this is our window of hope. Yeah. This is the place where we actually can rise up from our sickbed, and we can actually go after healing and restoration. So basically what I want you to understand is anything that I go into or state from this point you need to understand that my premise for saying it is not in any way to be negative toward us or even towards the American church. You need to understand that I qualify hunger as the greatest gift. You need to understand that a burning heart is the most precious gift you could possess. A heart that is angsting and yearning and longing for the fullness of God. And this is why when we look in the book of Acts, we recognize there is a big gap between where God has intended us to be and walk and where we presently are. But what we do when we recognize that gap is what qualifies us. It's what we do, and that is the beginning of hope for us. I'm going to actually read to you guys, and the reason I'm going to read this to you is because I do want you to understand that this is really how I qualify. Any statements that I say from this point so you know my heart, and you understand it's not in criticism or negativity, it's actually unto hope. It's unto seeing the fulfillment of the promise of the word of God. One of my favorite quotes is by A.W. Tozer. To have found God, and still to pursue him, is the soul's paradox of love. Scorned indeed by the too easily satisfied religionist, but justified in happy experience by the children of a burning heart. What eventually will become of us who so quickly grow lukewarm? Woe to us if we presume to rest in peace and security when actually there is no true holiness in our lives. He's speaking of the too easily satisfied religionist. And that's really what we become. When we cease to look into the word of God, we become the too easily satisfied religionist because instead of yearning and burning for the fullness of God, we tend to appease ourselves in our our state of apathy and lack, and almost even justifying it by the circumstances surrounding us. How many of you guys have actually heard entire doctrines that basically are catered around and to almost, I'll say this in a sense, to facilitate the understanding that we don't operate in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, in the new ta- uh, meaning in the modern day church. That it was something relegated to a time or a season or even the gifts of the Spirit. Or, and no disrespect to it whatsoever, but in, in Boston, many of you know, we have something here called the quiet revival. And, and, and I've actually sat with many leaders, and the understanding of the quiet revival is that this is the modern culture, and it's not going to look like it did in the time of Wesley and Finney. So it's the belief that we're in a state of awakening, but it will not look like, smell like, act like, and manifest like it did in the first and great awakening because we are in a different day and in a different culture. And I can understand where some of that thought gets um, adapted from, but this is what I want to say to those of you in this room and those that are part of this community. Our authority is the word of God. It is not modern technology Amen. and the fact that, you know, Amen. we're so internet savvy, so it's going to look a different way. Our model is the Word of God. Amen. So what revival and awakening looked like in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, Amen. is what Amen. we qualify revival and awakening Amen. in our day and in our time. So when we look at the book of Acts, if who we are is a body of people and as a community of people does not match, the problem is not on the side of God. How many of you heard the prophet say, his arm is not too short to save. He is not restraining himself because of lack of desire or lack of power or lack of compassion for mankind. I'm going to just say this to you. Keep this in mind. When there is a problem in culture, society, my life, the problem is on the part of me. Always. You never have to wonder. I mean, I've sat in many counseling sessions with young men and young women who, because of being offended with the ways of God, somehow God didn't do it quite the way. Really what it is, is our lack of understanding of the ways of God. There's no fault in Him whatsoever. And I know that that's offensive to our emotions. Because sometimes it's the easiest thing in the world. If God had moved quicker, if God had intervened, if God had, you have to understand, in the realm of humanity, that not maybe sometimes it might not be you that's the issue. It might be the other party. You know, we work with human beings who have a free will that God is not going to supersede. But really, I wanted to begin before we kind of moved into looking at, at our lives in comparison and evaluating the Word of God, because acts is what I. This is what I want to say. I would rather have a company of people that burn to see the New Testament church of the book of Acts. Let me just say this, with no excuses. It is so easy to develop excuses of why we are not operating and why we are not going after. It is so easy to develop even doctrines surrounding why and scientific reasons of why and theologies of why instead of just looking at the raw, barren facts. We are in need of a move of the Holy Spirit. We are in need of a move of the Holy Spirit. And really, it's, it's until we come face to face with that reality, that that is our only hope, that that is the only restoration for our culture and our society. If we will come to that place of desperation, it will drive us to change. It will drive us actually to reprioritize and, and restructure and reevaluate and change. I want us actually to move on. So as you know, he basically stands up and he walks. and He goes about running and praising and rejoicing in the Lord. And then basically what happens is, is Peter sees that surrounding there, all of the people were basically standing in amazement and wonder. They're wondering, what just happened? Why is this guy leaping? I bet you... Many of them were even wondering, because the crucifixion of Jesus, they probably thought they had done away with all of that. Kind of like, didn't we eradicate the problem when Jesus was crucified? And now the amazement. So basically now, it's actually Peter's second sermon here in the book of Acts. And he goes on to say, so when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you look so intensely at us? As though by our own power or godliness, we had made this man walk. I just want you to take note. I want you to circle power, circle godliness. We're not going to go into great detail today. But this is what I want to say. Oftentimes what we find with men and women of God is either they operate in great power and lack godliness. Or they operate and they have amazing godliness and lack power. As a healthy community, what I want to I want to say, we don't value one above the other. We, it's not one above the other. It, it's crying out for the fulfillment of both of those in our lives. We want godly nature, godly character. We want to reflect the personhood of Jesus Christ in every attitude, in every response, in every meditation, in every emotion, in the way we spend our time, our money. We want to reflect. Who Jesus is. That is our great ambition and that is our great desire. But also in that, we want to reflect who he is. And this is what I want to say to you. is When I pray for my son, the simplicity of healing, this is Healing 101. Healing 101, here you go. The Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, the Godhead is perfect. Wherever he is, there is perfection and order. So when he comes into a body that is diseased, he brings it into perfection and order. I understand there's a lot of other complexities to sickness and why people are sick. I'm not saying that it's because the presence of Jesus is not in them, okay? (laughs) But just saying that when I pray for healing, that's really the fundamentals of what I'm praying, is you who are perfect, come and invade this disease, this brokenness. It could even be a place of emotional or even mental issues. You pray that the perfection of who Jesus Christ is comes and sets everything into right order and right alignment and perfection. So just as a mental note, power and godliness, that that's really what we're contending for. And it's even what he was answering is that, did you think it was because of our power or our godliness that somehow we were so godly that we were able to? And then on to verse 13, it says, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of our father glorified his servant, Jesus. Here we go again. Remember in chapter 2, we went through Peter's first sermon, and it was all about the man Christ Jesus. He charged them as being guilty with crucifying the Messiah. And now here he is again. He's going back to the topic of Jesus. He just can't get away from it. Whom you, oh, here he goes again. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. Now he's like laying out the whole story here. But you denied the Holy One and the, and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted instead. He's laying out the whole story. I just, verse 15, and killed the prince of life whom God raised from the dead, in which we are witnesses. And his name, through faith in his name, has, has made this man strong. Speaking of the man that was just healed. Through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. He's saying, you see him and you've known. You've known he's been sitting here and so you're now eyewitnesses. You've all seen him and now you're seeing him running and dancing and leaping. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness. See the perfection of Jesus Christ is manifested in his body. This perfect soundness in the presence of all of you. Yet now brethren, I know that you that you did it in ignorance and did also as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all of his prophets That the Christ would suffer. He has thus fulfilled. Repent therefore and be converted. That your sins may be blotted out. So that times of refreshing may uh, may come from the presence of the Lord. And he may send Jesus Christ. Who was preached to you before. Whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all of his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear all things, whatever he says to you, and it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow, as many as have spoken, have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities beautiful, isn't it? And now we have the first persecution. Right after he finishes explaining the personhood of Jesus Christ, it says, and now as they, as they spoke to the people, the priests, how many of you guys know who the priests were? They were the ones serving in the temple. They were really the, the spiritual authority, the captain of the temple. This is more of like in a military sense. They had watch and authority over the temple And the Sadducees, which were the religious authority and and leaders of that day, came upon them being greatly disturbed that that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So their disturbance was over the preaching of Jesus, the man Christ Jesus. So take note. This is what I want all of us to hear in this place. The greatest controversy is going to be around the personhood of Jesus Christ. All of us, in this day and in this time, I want to say it is, it is an hour to cultivate a fierce devotion for the man Christ Jesus. This will be, I'm going to say to you, it will be the centerpiece of what is surrounding the greatest controversy in the church. The greatest controversy regarding one world religion is the man Christ Jesus. And this is what I, as we begin to even look further into the book of Acts, you need to understand that the persecution that came on these men was because of their loyalty to the man Christ Jesus. They had no problem with them preaching God. These were Jewish leaders. They believed in God. They were devout to God. There was no issue if they had just preached or even shared about God or had loyalty to God. Their issue was the, the name of Jesus. What I really just want to highlight before we move on is, number one, in our day and in our time, hear me, I'm all about unity. Love, 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 love unity. And I do believe that we are actually going to see the fulfillment of unity in the church. But in John 15, actually, where it says, in John 17, where it actually says that as I am in you and you are in me, so make them one. What we need to understand here is that in our day and in our culture, when we preach a false unity message, which basically means for the sake of peace, let's just all get along, okay? Just put aside your differences, put aside your convictions, put aside even any language or message or mandate that might be slightly controversial. So hear me on this. If Peter and Paul lived in our day with the, the understanding of unity that we possess in our generation... They would have felt as though to be at peace and in one accord and in unity, they would have needed to lay aside their message to be in one accord with the priests and the Sadducees and the captain of the temple. Because what you have to understand is, honestly, what it looked like is it looked very, very divisive. The leaders, the religious leaders, were the ones, basically, that were laying hold of them and saying, do not preach the name of Jesus. How many of us would have the confidence... If even those that are, hold great authority or influence basically commanded us not to preach certain things, would we have the confidence of knowing that we have been, number one, commissioned and sent and endorsed by the Spirit of God, and that our allegiance would be to Jesus Christ rather to man? And the only way we'll have that is if we have a true understanding of unity. And this is what I want to say in context of that. And when we look in, in Acts 1 and 2, when it says that they were in one accord, you have to understand they were all about one accord. They got they they got unity and they got it in its truest sense. They were in one accord because they were all going after one thing. That's the place where we find unity in the church. Is when our eyes, all of us, are so focused on the man Christ Jesus our obsession, that it's no longer about what we're building or what we're going after or our individuality or competition or any of those things, but it's so about Him. When they were in the upper room and it says that they were in one accord, they were there seeking the Holy Spirit. They were seeking the fulfillment of Of what Jesus said, go to Jerusalem and tarry there until you are endued with power. They all had like mind. They all had like vision. They were looking at and going after the same thing. And that's where you find biblical unity. What if the entire Church of Boston became became so obsessed that this became our prayer, what we meditated, what we thought about, what we dreamt about, our greatest ambition, send the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit. If that was the overriding cry of our lives, not make me successful, make me prosperous, give me influence, but send the Holy Spirit. What a unifying prayer meeting we would have. What an explosive time together in the Spirit because we're all there, abandoning it all, send the Holy Spirit. I mean, honestly, if even us as individuals, I just want to say, forget the corporate sense. As individuals, if we are challenged, that as much as we have time as we spend complaining and bickering and whining and all the other stuff, if as much as you were doing, talking about your problems and your woes, if you were just uttering those, one wo- those those words, send the Holy Spirit. I challenge you, replace some of your language. and pl- Replace some of your meditation. Send the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit. I guarantee the true unity movement would be that. If we came into a place of such one accord, of crying out, send the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to move on actually regarding, so they basically came, and it says the great discernment was, and this is verse 2, was regarding the fact that they preached Jesus. And so basically here's the story, I'm going to go through this very quickly, because we're running ahead. Um They brought him into custody, and this is awesome, it actually says, however, many of those who heard the word believed, and 5,000 were saved. <laughs> So the first time the dude preaches, 3,000 are saved. The second time, 5,000 are saved. (laughs) That's extraordinary fruit, I might say. 5,000 are saved. So then it says that Peter addresses the Sanhedrin. And I'm actually just going to read to you verse 8. This is basically when they're, they're challenging him and they're basically scrutinizing him. And Peter says, as he's filled with the Holy Spirit to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel... If we this day are judged for the good deed done to this helpless man by what means by what means he has been made well let it be known to you all and to all of the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead by him this man stands before you whole this is the stone which was rejected by by you builders which has become the chief cornerstone nor is there salvation in any other <clears throat> for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we can be saved so basically from here the story goes that the Sanhedrin forbid him to preach further they basically We're going to go on further. Later on, they're actually threatening to kill them. But it says, now when they they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. Mm -hmm. So it goes on, actually, I'm just going to skip down in verse 18. It says, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. And once again, we find the controversy is regarding the name of Jesus. In verse 19, we see Peter's response. In short, I'm just going to say to you, he said, For we cannot but speak of the things which we have seen and heard. He flat out just says, I'm sorry, I can't but (laughs) speak of the things that I have seen and heard. So basically, they let them go. They threatened them, let them go. And now this is their response. Now being let go, this is verse 23. Verse 23 they went um, with their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised up their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said. And then if you skip down, they continue to pray. And if you skip down to verse 29, this is one of the um, most probably famous apostolic prayers. Now, Lord, look on their threats. And grant to your servant that with all boldness they may speak your word, by stretching out your hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. This is extraordinary. I mean, if we pray no other passage of scripture, number one, I just want to say, we always pray this in reference to the persecuted church, right? Because in America, we have liberty, and here, they were being persecuted, that was the whole context. And in being persecuted, they were basically saying, grant us boldness. Grant us boldness by stretching out your hand to heal. I'm going to say two things to you. Number one, we do live in a a very free nation. But second to being a very free nation, our Christian liberties are continually under threat. I don't know how many of you are very aware. I highly recommend um, the ACLUJ, um, American Center for Law and Justice, and what's the second? Oh, FRC, the um, Family Research Council. Those are two websites that actually daily will send you an update of what's happening on Capitol Hill and all of the things that they are fighting on behalf of Christian beliefs. It's extraordinary, and it's a gift that we have their presence there. But what I want to say is two things. Is number one, basic, I'm going to give you end-time theology 101, here you go. Is that basically, Isaiah chapter 60, it says that in the last days, that the darkness will grow darker, but the light will grow lighter. So simultaneously... Wickedness is going to increase, but the glory of God resting upon the church is also going to increase. It is an hour of great hope because it is when the church is going to shine the brightest. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason to fear. There's no reason to have anxiety as long as our foundation is in Jesus Christ. I declare to you because of Isaiah chapter 60, and I encourage you to study it out. It says that kings will come to the brightness of your shining that they will come to the brightness and the manifest glory of God that is upon you. So there'll be a drawing magnetism of the lost unto the church because of the glory that will rest upon it. But I also want to say, for those of you that are not familiar, Matthew twenty four thirty seven, it actually speaks of, um, in, in the days of the coming of the Son of Man, that it will be as in the days of Noah. Okay, enough said, right? <laughs> I mean, how many of you know what it was like in the days of Noah? wickedness was running rampant, and, and it specifies in there, it talks about that their God was their belly, that they were given to marriage and lust, and not that marriage is lust, but it says that in the Word, <laughs> but just meaning they were living unto this present life. That, that is all they, the context that they knew and understood, and that is truly the day in which we live. But anyway, so as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. That is our understanding. And so this is what I want to say is that do not find it shocking and do not be taken off guard as Christianity, specifically surrounding the personhood of Jesus Christ, becomes more and more offensive and becomes more and more persecuted. And that we have to be those that stand for the man Christ Jesus no matter what the cost. Um, so specifically, they, when they prayed for boldness, boldness is freedom in speaking, unreservedness in speech, that being open, frank, without ambiguity, without ambiguity, without ambiguity, think about it this way, when you preach the gospel, oftentimes now, in the public sector, or even in many pu- uh, pulpits, you have to be so careful of the choosing of your words, Because there's so many things that cause offense and have controversy and so much misunderstanding surrounding them that instead of us just speaking plainly, kind of like we find Peter doing, he just calls a spade a spade, right? He just says it. Just says it like it is. He doesn't you know, most of the time now when people are doing public speaking, they're having to dance around something and say it so carefully and with such strategic language as to somehow get your point across but not using any of the verbiage or the language that might possibly turn off someone's mind and intellect and therefore offend them. I mean, that is the reality of what it is to preach the gospel in our day and in our time. Is that there are so many cultural issues that we're dancing around. But instead, Peter stands up and he says, And he was the Christ. And you crucified him. And Pilate wanted to release Barabbas to you. Instead, you demanded Jesus. He just lays it out there. No uncertain terms. <laughs> so then, moving on. Um, After they prayed this prayer, in verse 31 it says, Then when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. So we actually find that there's another infilling of the Holy Spirit. Then if you just look down to uh, verse 32, this is actually where we find they begin to basically sell their possessions. This is where... (laughs) It's crazy to me. I mean, I can't even imagine it. But it begins to say that they sold their possessions and everything that they owned and they had all things in common. They had all things in common. Now, I really think that this actually speaks to the extraordinary move of the Holy Spirit in their midst. That It would take an extraordinary move of the Holy Spirit for people to be willing to sell their possessions and have all things in common. There is no ounce... Of selfishness left. There is no ounce of self-seeking or self-preservation for that matter. It's all for one person. You Purpose, you put it all in the pot. It's kind of like, you know, we'll just invest it all together. We're going after it. Talk about having no reservation or even nothing to fall back on, really. I mean, like if the plan doesn't work. I mean, like if the gospel doesn't, you know, in in our culture, we have plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D. I got my backup plan. I'm called in ministry. I'm called in the mission field, but this is all my backup plan. This is how I got it all set up that if it don't, talk about a lack of faith. (laughs) I mean, what we see here is extraordinary faith sold all their possessions, and they had all things in common. And it actually goes on to talk about the great power and great grace that was found among them. Now in chapter 5, how many of you guys know the story of Anna, Anna, Ananias and Sapphira? Is there anybody here that doesn't know the story? I'm just going to recap it, and I'm probably not going to do it justice, so you should read this when you go home. Chapter 5. <laughs> okay, so I'm going before I even say this, just so you guys are aware, it, I think it's a very new trend. I, I, I'm not aware of it prior to some of the authors that we have present day. But there is a new trend in our culture that really begins to, and I don't know really even how they can prove it uh, biblically, but basically wants to um, articulate that after the cross, there is no judgment. And I get the the... The cross, it speaks a better word. His blood speaks a better word. And when we appropriate that blood, there is mercy and there is forgiveness of sin. But it's because we have received that wonderful gift. Now, what we have is Ananias and and Sapphira. So I just say, just keep this as a mental note in the back of your mind. When you begin to hear teaching of no judgment in the New Testament or somehow that the mercy of God, that love wins, even like when you flat out deny who Jesus Christ, that somehow, I believe that love, God's love conquers all. I believe that it's all surpassing. But I also believe that the word of God says it's the goodness and severity of Christ. That there is a nature in Christ that we cannot deny. And to deny his nature is to deny who he is. That he is both the lion and the lamb. And really what it comes down to is what is our definition of love. Because I love my son, it does not mean that I do not discipline him. But it's because I love my son that I discipline him. So really what is getting confused in our day and in our age, and some of you may not have any idea what I'm talking about or books that I'm referencing. Some of you may, but I guarantee because it's become so prevalent in our society that at one point you'll come across it. So I'm saying in your biblical arsenal (laughs) for you to pull out one day and begin to just question and say, but what about Ananias and Sapphira? That was New Testament. What about these situations? Because it is after the cross. So you find Ananias and Sapphira, and so because a part of their community, they had been selling their possessions and bringing all things in common. So basically, it's a husband and wife, Ananias comes, and basically, for some reason, he felt provoked to lie. I honestly, I'm just going to say, I'm speculating here, I could be really wrong. I think if he just flat out said, I sold my possession, but this isn't the entirety of it. Like, this is not what I got for it. I'm giving you a portion. I actually think that might have been okay, right? Like, I just think, like, he was giving an offering that would have been received and even respectable that he was giving, but where the problem lies is he lied. He actually said it was all the money he got for his possession. So you want to know what happens next? Dude drops dead. No, seriously. Dude drops dead. (laughs) So he's there... (laughs) So let me just say this. I do believe that it has something to do with the increase of the presence of God that was in their midst. Mm -hmm. That sin becomes judged even in a greater place because when there's greater understanding and revelation, there's greater accountability. So throughout that theory of no judgment, I think there's greater accountability when you have that kind of a move of the Holy Spirit in your midst. Three lies. So like I said, I don't think on the part of god or his holiness that he was actually requiring the the full amount from the possession i think the point was he lied like he deceived like he felt the boldness that he could do that so then his wife comes along he doesn't know that he's dead doesn't know that he just lied and dropped dead so the wife comes along and now the same situation it's just terrifying really i mean it's scary (laughs) i just can't even like I mean is this are we so divorced from the reality of what's taking place? She comes along and basically they ask her. They're like, was that the full amount that you guys got for the sale of that possession? Mm Mm-hmm. Sure was. (laughs) Boom, she drops (laughs) dead. Dead again. And then they drag her away. That's just craziness right there. (laughs) I mean, talk about the fear and the trepidation upon those that believed and those that did not believe. So you have Anna's (laughs) I just I can't even imagine. Ha! So, anyway, there you have defined New Testament. <laughs> you resolve for yourself whether there's any judgment in the New Testament. So, verse 12 through 16, it actually goes on to talk about the mighty miracles that took place in Jerusalem. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them. I wonder why. (laughs) None of the rest (laughs) dare join them. But the people esteemed them highly. And believers were increasingly added to the Lord. Multitudes, both men and women. Do you hear the saying that believers were added? Multitudes of believers are added. Verse 15. So that they brought the sick out to the streets and laid them on beds and couches That at least the shadow of Peter passing, passing by might fall on them. Also, a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits. And what does it say next? They were healed. All healed. That's a crazy, like, statistic to have in your healing ministry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all healed. <laughs> no, really. Like, <laughs> they were all healed. It wasn't like a 50-50 deal. Like, I mean, it wasn't like a ratio or an equation. Mm-hmm. They were all healed. That's, that's glorious and wonderful and magnificent. And then right after this, what do you suppose happens again? It's the second Persecution. Then the high priest rose up, and all those who were with him, which in the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with indignation, and laid their hands on the apostles and put them in a common prison. This is great. So basically what happens is, by night, an angel comes. Talk about having the endorsement of heaven, right? An angel comes. They don't even have to, like strategize, think of a way to get out of prison. An angel comes to to their rescue. The angel opens the prison doors. And what does the angel say? I mean, right here, let me just say, it's the angel of the Lord. This gives us a good window into the heart, the nature, and the character of Jesus Christ. So for those of you that think he's all about peace and unity and just keep the peace, just do what's expected and don't rock the boat, The angel says in verse 20, go stand in the temple. (laughs) They were just forbidden to do that. (laughs) Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. So the angel comes and releases them and now they're charged. Go back to the temple and preach. Talk about being like countercultural here. So basically what happens is, is they go back to the temple, just like they were called to do. And then in the morning, when they go to find them, they they can't find them in the prison. They're not there. So basically, they go seize them. They find them at the temple, and they bring them before the council now one more time. This is the second time. And basically, it says that the council was furious and plotted to kill them. So now, they were planning to put them to death. And then it was actually, if you jump to verse 33, one of the members of the council basically tried to reason with them. And I love these words. Let's just read them. This is amazing. Basically, a member of the council said, and now I say to you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan, oh, for if this plan or this work is of men, it will will come to nothing. But if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest you even be found to fight against God. Isn't that extraordinary? I mean, just the testament to, if it is of God, you cannot overthrow it. But if it is not of God, basically don't waste your time or your energy. Because before that, just, you know, in verses prior, he just gave two examples and two accounts of two different men that had risen up. And that basically, instead of the court dealing with them, they just kind of let the person do what they wanted. And basically, from amongst, amongst the crowd, they lost their gathering and it dispersed. They didn't even have to give time or attention. So this was, thank God for this advocate, because they were about to kill them. So they agreed with him, and and they had called the apostles and beaten them. So now the apostles were beaten for preaching, and we've made it very clear in three different verses, it was simplicity, in the simplicity, it was because of the name of Jesus Christ. They refused to deviate from speaking the testimony of Jesus Christ. So after they were beaten... In verse 41, it says that they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing. And they, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Beautiful, isn't it? This is probably, when we look at the book of Acts, it is so simple, really. I mean, honestly. Not confusing at all. It all comes back to the supremacy and the lordship of Jesus Christ. And having that fierce allegiance to the man Christ Jesus, regardless of persecution, regardless of what takes place. You know, basically what I want to do, I want us to close out in prayer. But there's a couple things that I want us to highlight. Is number one, that the apostles, that they were not defined by the present reality. They were not defined by what was the reality in Jewish culture at that time. They were not defined by what had been their previous experience. And honestly, if you study every great move of God in years past, basically what it was is young men and young women, old men and old women, that they had the courage to break into a new reality. They had the courage, actually, to look at the face of, of of spiritual barrenness, to look in the face of spiritual darkness and basically say, no matter what the cost, no matter what the sacrifice, I'm not staying here. I don't necessarily know what my journey will look like. I don't even necessarily know how I'm going to get there, what will be the time and the delays. But they basically postured their life to press into a new reality. That was the posture of their life. And really, when we stand in the house of prayer, or even being established in a city like Boston, basically what we're doing is we're standing in defiance to what is the present reality. Even in the place of intercession, standing in defiance to even the present barrenness that's in the church. And standing at that place of saying, we don't necessarily know the gap in time, or we don't even know the distance in time, but we're standing in this place and we refuse to be moved. We refuse to shrink back to what is familiar. We refuse even to lose heart. What these passages speak to, and what I want to speak to every individual heart here, is that it's very easy to look at the Word of God, and because it's not the reality of our experience, because we're not seeing it manifested as far as signs and wonders and miracles, we begin to adapt the Word of God to our reality. Where really what the Word of God is to call us to do is even drive us into that place of angst that instead of defining our life by the present reality and even our present lack and our present circumstance, I want to say to you, if you have prayed for ten people and none of them have been healed, Keep praying and laying hands on those that are sick and one day you are going to see because you know what? It's when you stand in that place. This is what I want to encourage you. It was prophesied. It was spoken all throughout Scripture as far as the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was spoken as far as the signs and the wonders and the birthing of the New Testament church. But we don't necessarily find the apostles in a place of apathy and despair even after they were persecuted. We find them in the posture of prayer and they're saying, now look upon the threats of those they're saying they're not just even standing in a false place of peace and apathy they're saying stretch out your hand with signs and wonders they're standing in the place of calling upon the god of heaven where he's saying fulfill your word fulfill your word and see that's the place that we need to stand in prayer is not necessarily looking at even the condition of Boston or even the universities. How many of you have been praying for Harvard and MIT? Some of us for years. But I'm going to say something to you. I have dear friends that are intercessors in their 70s and their 80s that have been praying for these universities, but instead of them standing in a place that they're offended with God because they're not seeing the fulfillment yet, I'm going to say this word to you. Time is their ally. Time becomes your ally when instead of becoming hardened and offended with delays in the place of prayer, what do you find the, in these passages of Scripture? You find it's continually saying that they were going to the temple to pray. They, then it says their response after being persecuted, they came in one accord and they prayed. If you make the perpetual response of your heart in delay and in discouragement, in defeat, in persecution, no matter what the circumstances of your life, If the perpetual response of your heart is posturing yourself in the place of prayer, I guarantee you will have faith that will not die. You will have courage that cannot be quenched. That regardless of delays, regardless of difficulties and disappointments, actually faith is going to only increase inside of you. Because it's in the place of prayer that your reality becomes so much different than what you're seeing around you. You have a greater reality. You, the reality of what God says supersedes your present circumstance. It's faith that cannot be denied. It's a heart that refuses to be offended. It's, a, it's, it's an unquenchable fire and a burning in your heart that time becomes your ally. Instead of burning, I know many young people for five years, they're burning for revival, and then you're talking to them and disillusion, despair, discouragement... All of these things grip their heart, which is so sad and devastating to see. But on the flip side of that, when you meet men and women that for 20, 30, 40 years are standing in the place of prayer and they refuse to be denied, that faith and expectancy is only increasing. That boldness, that word boldness that the Apostle said, grant to your servants boldness, it's only increasing because it's in the place of prayer that faith is increased. That it begins to grow and it's sustained. And that's the only place that it's sustained. Um, I actually just want us, in closing out, why don't we stand to our feet. for any individuals that just need someone to agree with them or stand with them in prayer for personal ministry. So don't leave today if you have need of that. But before we move into real personal ministry, what I would like us to do is I'd actually like us to form a circle and hold hands and close out in prayer and specifically to pray into this, this passage of scripture that we've been studying today. Oh, we'll have to close the gap. There's definitely some amongst us that, you know, there's things that we have been praying for and even believing for. Some of you, it might be the salvation of a relative, and you have not seen God answer that prayer. That there could be very real things, that there has been disappointment and discouragement surrounding. And you can probably even look in areas of our life where instead of pressing in for what God has we've almost just adapted to the present circumstance. That could even be an area of disease or sickness in our life, that it it comes to a point that our heart grows faint, and instead of contending for healing, we more come to a place of accepting the circumstance. It could even be an area of personal struggle, of addiction, or sin. But before we move on into praying, uh, as far as a corporate reality, I just want us to take a minute before the Lord, as far as our individual hearts, at any place that we've ceased believing for God's highest and God's best in the fullness of what He desires. Any place that our lives are not in alignment with the Word of God. Lord, we just come before you, God, and we just recognize, Lord, that oftentimes, Lord, when we don't see breakthrough or answer to prayer or even when we don't understand circumstance, Lord, that our hearts, Lord, come to a place of either being offended with you or even just choosing to rest and subside instead of pressing on and seeking breakthrough and victory. So God, we ask, Lord, that any place today, God, within our hearts, Lord, that instead of standing in a posture of faith. God, that we have almost lied down in a posture of defeat and despair. God, we ask, Lord, even now, Father, Lord, as we have looked into your word, God, we we thank you, Father, that it is a, a picture and a window into what you desire. And God, we ask, Lord, even now, God, as we have read of the resurrection power... Of Jesus Christ, Him who was raised from the dead. We just speak the quickening of the life of the presence of Jesus Christ in every individual heart. We call forth life in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you, Father, that every place that hearts have been gripped with hopelessness, Lord, that you speak hope and you speak destiny and you speak life in the name of Jesus. Lord, I thank you, Father, that you have not called us to almost uh, make uh, agreements with the enemy. Lord, that you have not called us, Lord, even to bartering and bargaining with the enemy. But, God, you have called us to utter breakthrough and utter victory, Father. So, God, we ask, Lord, for now, Lord, just that you give renewed vision and renewed hope in the name of Jesus. God, we just thank you, Father, for a greater impartation of your Holy Spirit. God, we specifically, God, just address this place even of prayerlessness. God, that any place that hope deferred has the, made the heart sick. And God, has even caused us, Lord, to disengage from the place of prayer. God, I ask, Lord, that our lives, God, would model that, God, of Peter and of John. God, that our response would be to come before you, God, perpetually again and again. Lord, that our life would be hidden in the womb of prayer. God, that it's in that place, God, that you can give clarity and understanding and impartation and strength. That's the place that faith is renewed. So, God, we just say, Father, that we, we sign up once again. God, we thank you that pursuing you in wholeheartedness is not a one-time deal that we that we commit to or long for. Lord, it's a day after day committing our hearts after you to pursue you. So, God, we just thank you, Lord, for fresh grace to be released to each heart in this place. And God, as a corporate body, God, as we stand in this circle, God, we just come before you, God, and we say, Lord, we long to be a community that contends for the fullness of God. God, we say that as we are going through the book of Acts, God, we are not reading it as a storybook of years past and days gone by. But God, we are reading it, God, as a place of hope and vision for what you desire to do in the earth and what you desire to manifest in our day and in our time. So, God, we utter even the words of Habakkuk. God, we say, God, we have heard of your fame of old. We have heard of your deeds of old. But we say, do it again in our day and in our time. God, we do ask so that you would bring us into one accord in this place. Lord, that the continual cry and overriding passion of our lives would be, Send the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit. Send the Holy Spirit. God, we say, Lord, as a community of people, Lord, that we will not give ourselves to apathy and despair, to despondency and discouragement. But, God, we say, Father, we believe that you desire to release historical revival in our day and in our time. So, God, we ask, Lord, even as it was said of the Moravians, that you change the face of Christianity in one generation. God, we stand before you with renewed faith, Father, saying, God, would you do it again in our day and our time? Lord, change the face of Christianity, Lord, in one generation. Lord, we cry out to you, God, that the face of Christianity would be the reflection of the face of Christ, the fullness of Christ, the reflection of Christ, the manifestation of Christ upon the earth. So God, we say, ruin us with high vision
1: for the reality
0: of Christ in our midst, the fullness of Christ, in all of his splendor, in all of his glory, and all of his majesty. And God, we ask, Lord, specifically, God, birth in our hearts, God, great fervency and allegiance to the man, Jesus Christ. We can't help but speak. Of what we have heard and what we have seen. We can't help but speak of who we have experienced. This man, Christ Jesus. God, we stay, Father, in our midst. God, in this geographical location. God, raise up a covenant community. Lord, that goes after the fullness of all that you have intended and you promised those that are bound together in one accord because of like vision and an obsession with the man, Christ Jesus. God, we just thank you for your spirit in We say what you did in the book of Acts. Would you do it here again? God, give us longevity in the place of prayer. God, give us endurance in the place of prayer would never turn aside until we see the fulfillment of what you have promised. We worship you. If there's anybody that needs um, personal prayer or ministry, um, just make sure you come to the fir- front and have somebody agree with you. And then also anybody that wants information regarding the conference, <coughs> see Crystal and she'll take your email. Okay. let's you.